Welcome everyone. I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. And we're here at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And I can't wait to have today's conversation. It's with Clint Davis. So Clint, thanks for being here. Yeah, glad to be here, man. Glad to, to have it. you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Clint, um, you're such an important mental health professional in this community involved in so many aspects of helping our residents. Today, I'd like to cover some of the different services you provide at Clint Davis, Clint Davis Counseling, but before we jump too far in, I want to quickly share something with you and get your thoughts okay. or reaction. I've had a good bit of counseling throughout my life and believe that one of the key steps in therapy is just the process of sharing thoughts and feelings and getting them out on the table to be discussed. I feel like we're hopefully doing some of that for our community with this podcast. My question is, do you believe that providing a space to air out thoughts and feelings is an important part of the counseling process? Yeah, I think it's the most important part of the counseling process. You know, um, it's, it's interesting. We get trained in therapy school, you know, in grad school over the years. You know, you're supposed to be this neutral party. You're not supposed to have a perspective. You're not supposed to have needs. You're supposed to go to therapy too, but you're not supposed to have any mental health issues. You're, you know, it's just, we, we all know that's not right and not real. Um, but then the research shows that, you know, 80% or of what therapy is helpful or almost 90% of what is helpful is the relationship you have with your client, not necessarily the technique or tool you're using. So yeah, I think the relationship between two human beings connecting and, and talking is what, where so much of the healing comes in because many of us didn't have that growing up. We haven't had those in our family systems. And so we don't know what it's like to share and be vulnerable and to be open and express our thoughts without being condemned, being shut down, being ignored, being, you know, you know, talked over. So I think for many people, their first time of feeling heard and seen and known is in a therapy office, unfortunately. And, and articulating perhaps certain things that have never, ever seen seen the light of day or ever been articulated oh, absolutely i mean definitely sharing secrets and private thoughts and things that you've never told anybody else and then being met with empathy and compassion i mean it's life-changing you know it's it's what we all need to do i just went to therapy this morning at nine you know like literally had you know a session for myself and did some emdr and some trauma work on some stuff that i'm processing and dealing with and i think I didn't want to go, you know, she texted my therapist texted me and she's like, remember you got session yesterday, yesterday. And I was like, great. <laughs> so it's this tension of being vulnerable and being open is, is amazing in your healing process, but it's also very difficult and your nervous system and your history and your experience is constantly, you know, pushing against that and going, Hey, this is unsafe. This is not smart. The last time you did this, look at all these bad things that happened. And for most of us that, that's not crazy. That's actually reality. And so we're having to fight against that war that's inside of us. Love that. Well, one of, one of our previous guests and friends of yours, Cassie Hammett, once said this in, in speaking about you. Clint helps people truly become who they were created to be, coaching people to have a sound mind and process through things from the past that may be affecting them now. 
Talk to me, if you wouldn't mind, about the quote above and some of your particular approach and process. Um, well, first of all, it's very sweet of Cassie. She's one of my favorite people, and we've been friends for a very long time and worked at the Hub together for a very long time, and um, she's an amazing human being. Um, so for her to say something kind about me, that's great. But one, I mean, it's not me at all. I mean, I have to give all glory to God and all credit to the Holy Spirit. I mean, the sessions that I think went well that I'm like, well, I was really on, I killed it, right? Or not the sessions that the clients come back and have this, like, it's usually the ones where I'm like, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I'm not sure what's happening. And they'll come back and they'll say, you said this thing and it was amazing. And I'm like, I don't even remember saying that. Like, God is constantly reminding me that, you know, I'm just there to be in relationship with this person. He's going to weave what they need to hear. It's kind of like, you know, watch a movie or you hear a song, you hear a sermon, and then you go home to talk about it. It's like, oh, I didn't get that at all. Or that part wasn't that impactful to me. It's the same thing with therapy. So I can't take really much credit other than just my trying to be available for people. Um, as far as changing, I'm trying to think about the quote, as far as changing people, I don't change people. People change themselves. What we do in therapy is we create a safe environment to where people's nervous system can get regulated they can be in a space where their brain and their body and, and I would say their spirit is all connected. And then for me, the Holy Spirit then enters into that room and goes, okay, I need to say some things to you. You need to say some things to me and we need to get to truth. And so many of us, I would say my philosophy, I'm really trained in systemic therapy and marriage and family therapy. And so looking at a person in the room is like, you're not just an individual. You're a, you're a daughter, a son, a husband, a wife, a, a child of this person you know, the work environment you're in, the religious beliefs you have, all of those things are, are in the room. And so um, I think it's important as clinicians for us to, to know that and understand that if we're going to work in this field. I think trauma is the other big thing that is important to me is understanding trauma to the brain and the body and, and how that affects um, people. And so, you know, the trauma has not really been around, but for 20 or 30 years in the literature and in the DSM and, and still in some ways, even, even in Treeport, you know, we're, we're trying to push and more people are getting trained and more systems are getting trained in trauma and understanding it. And so our practice really comes from what I like to call a trauma responsive lens. You know, there's trauma informed care, um, which means you kind of have the, there's a bookshelf and the bookshelf is trauma and then everything, marriage and parenting and, um, you know, anxiety and depression are all on the bookshelf, but trauma is the foundation. And my definition for trauma is anything that's not nurturing. And so we're not, as human beings, meant to go through abuse and uh, pain and suffering and all these things. We, we were made for the garden. And then brokenness and sin entered into the world and everything kind of fell apart. And so now what is normal is not healthy and not what we were supposed to experience. And so part of therapy for me is helping people recognize that, you know, things happen to you that shouldn't have happened. You know, you, you say, oh, I had a great childhood. You know, lots of people come in and say, oh, no, this has nothing to do with my parents. And then we get into it and they're like, oh, wow, it has everything to do with my parents. And it's not to blame all parents for everything. It's to show them that, you know, if God intended the garden, if you didn't get the garden, then there's consequences. And, and your internal shame and narrative and beliefs about yourself are directly related to what you went through as a child, what your environment was like, what experiences you had, and what you believe shapes your thoughts and feelings, which shapes your actions. 
So a lot of times with therapy, it's for, for years, it's been behavior modification. We've, uh, we've looked at people's addictions and their depression and their symptoms and gone, okay, let's address these symptoms with some behavior changes or some thought changes. And that's good. But if we don't ask the questions, what do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about other people? What do you believe about God? Those are really the foundations that shape all those other things. And so for me, uh, it's not me telling people what my beliefs are. It's going, what do you believe? And how are your behaviors and your beliefs adding up? And if they're not, then there's some incongruence within you that we need to figure out where that came from, where that started, and where that continues to be in your body and be in your heart and be in your soul when you're you know, living in a relationship. And this that, that's the nutshell anyway. Yeah, no, that's great. And this wasn't a planned question, but I was at dinner with my parents and I was telling them I was, I was having you on as a guest today. And my dad said, well, would you mind asking him a question for me? And I said, sure, if I could find a good place. And he said, actually, someone who we used to know when we lived in another neighborhood reached out the other day and was looking for, asked us if we knew of a psychologist or a counselor. And, and he wanted me to ask you, you know, for someone who doesn't have a network of psychologists or doesn't have a network of counselors and, and feels like they need some help, what sort of recommendation do you have for the general public in terms of how to find, I mean, aside, they can certainly call you and, uh, yeah. but how, how does one go about taking that first step to receiving some assistance or? It's really difficult. I mean, I think it's a, it's a very uh, hard thing to do. I mean, even for therapists, right? I mean, the reason it's difficult is like, there's so many angles of, it's like, what's your perspective is limited to what can you pay? What insurance do they take? Right. If, and if that's, if that's hindering you, then your, your pool gets smaller. Um, like we don't take insurance, but we do a sliding scale. So if somebody calls and says, Hey, I can't afford 120 or 150 or whatever the rate is for the therapist, then we'll say, okay, what can you afford? You know, we'll work with them on that level. Um, and a lot of therapists can't do that don't do that or they're restricted to certain insurances. So that's the first kind of, I think barrier is just the income. It's just like, what do we do here? Um, we're looking to start a nonprofit and working with another nonprofit who wants to come in and fund and uh, subsidize counseling sessions. So we can start to work with lower incomes, uh, families. And we do now we do it pro bono or for cheaper, but we do a lot of work with nonprofits and just see people for free. So I think that's the first barrier. Um, I think the other the other thing people need to look for is like, what is, who, who knows this person? Like, is there anybody connected to the person that you know that can vouch for them? What are their credentials? You know, what, what school did they go to? Um, do they have a master's? Do they have any training in trauma? Do they have any training in addiction? Um, those, those are things that I would look for. They, do they have like extra things besides just an LPC or an extra things? Like not that credentials make, uh, every therapist good or bad but if you're going in for trauma ask that like hey do you know about trauma do a little research on your own to figure out just like you would do a doctor's appointment does this per when i go in do i have some questions to ask of this person to see that they're a be you know the best fit for me um i've had clients who say well i went and saw so and so at your practice and you know the, it was a good session but they just didn't talk much and I'll say, okay, did you ask them that you, did you tell them that you need them to talk more? And, and that's a dynamic, right? Is that we're going to therapy because we don't really, maybe we don't know how to relate or ask for what we need. Our attachments messed up. We don't, we feel insecure about, you know, our, our wants and desires. 
But the thing we need to do in therapy is work through that in therapy with the therapist. And so most therapists in Shreveport that I know, you know, are amazing people and whatever their training is, their ability to just hear you and sit with you and love on you really is going to matter way more than whatever the credentials are. But you want to know as a, as a um, consumer the the person's, you know, within the, within the realm of what you want and what you're looking for. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's super helpful. And, uh, yeah, don't be scared to, uh, to try more therapists. You know, um, there are unhealthy therapists, there are unhealthy doctors, there are unhealthy pastors, there are unhealthy, you know, producers, everybody is on, you know, so if you have one person who you have a bad experience with, you're going to have to try another one and get a better fit and, and don't give up because, you know, I've been through a ton and I've had sessions where I walked in and within five minutes, I'm like, nope, you're great. You know, they're really kind. It's just, I knew it wasn't going to be a good fit for, for me. Um, and other sessions that I've walked in and, uh, and in I, a situation like that, I'm just curious in a situation like that, can you, can you end it abruptly or, or Oh yeah, you, you can. I mean, I didn't, you know, I sat through it and, you know, enjoyed the conversation and engaged, but yeah, if you, if you get 10 or 15 minutes in and you feel like it's unsafe and it's not a good fit, you can say, Hey, listen, I, I don't feel like I'm comfortable continuing. Like, um, you know, I don't want to continue and, and I'll maybe call you back or, you know, and that's, that's fine. I've had people, uh, me and my wife were just talking about this the other day. We were uh, watching a show and the the client got up and left out of this session. And, and, I, and she was like, has that ever happened? I was like, oh, yeah, lots of times, you know, where people have gotten mad at me or been triggered by something that I asked a question about and been in a couple sessions and one of the spouses gets up and leaves and slams the door and they come back and we resolve it. And that's that's all part of the process is, you know, doing that work. I like to say use the use what's in the room. It doesn't, it doesn't do me a whole lot of good to meet with a client and talk about their mom for 30 minutes. It's, it's important for me to go, how does that play out between you and I? And how can we resolve conflict in here? How can we push some buttons that might be difficult in here? How can I maybe challenge you in some areas in a loving, trauma-informed way? And you experience, really, it's the experience of that that's the breakthrough. Because for many of us, it's like, well, I've never experienced affection or attention or love or trust in this way. I don't really necessarily believe that's a thing. Um, and then they, people experience and they're like, Oh, that's what that's supposed to feel like. Or my favorite thing is like <laughs> people will have an argument or they'll come in and say, okay, I need to have this conversation with my kid or my husband or my wife. And I don't know what to say. And, or they said this back to me, was it right? And I'm like, well, what if they would have said, Hey, I hear you. I hear that you're upset. I'm really sorry that you're upset. I could see why it would be that way. And you would feel that way, especially knowing your past and knowing your family. I'm really sorry that happened. However, you know, that wasn't my intention. And so this is why I did it. And people just look like you have three heads because a lot of times you, we don't even know like what the healthy option is. We can't even conceptualize because it's just how it's always been. And talking like that sounds insane. You know, people are like, Nobody talks like that. It's like, but you can, you can learn to talk like that. You can, you can learn to validate and empathize and connect just like you have to learn to shoot a gun, shoot a basketball, you know, play whatever knit, whatever the thing is that you do, you don't start out being an expert at it. You have to practice and it takes time and what a better place to do it than in here. For sure. It was a long winded answer. No, it's perfect. Perfect. This is going to be a long winded question. Yeah, so. you're fine. Um, 
On the Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness website, there's a list of the different services mm -hmm. you provide. I'm going to list them all out. Sure. They are trauma therapy, EMDR, marriages and families, mm -hmm. drug, alcohol, and sex addiction, play therapy, eating disorders, creation therapy, business coaching and counseling, groups and educational seminars, adoption and foster care support, massage therapy, anxiety and depression, grief counseling, temperament analysis, nutritional counseling, and equine assisted psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. Would you mind, my, my question is, would you mind maybe choosing three of the above mentioned services and providing a little more information about the work you do in those areas. Yeah, so we have an integrative wellness team. So we have about 27 people uh, within our team, maybe 30 now. Uh, so we have a couple of chiropractors, dietitians, uh, family medicine doctors. And so they do some of that work, um, you know, especially eating disorders or any kind of body image issues. Um, the equine therapy is something we, we've started. It's new. Um, I personally went through equine therapy myself about four years ago, right before COVID actually, and then did a lot of my own work doing equine therapy and it was just life changing. So I was like, I went and got certified and then I connected with Amanda Cruz, who's one of our therapists. And Which for people who are going equine therapy, I have yeah. no idea what that even means. Would you just, yeah. for the lay person. So horse therapy. Uh, so the equine assisted psychotherapy sees the horse as a partner in, in a relational partner in the therapy. So it's not a, the horse is not a tool to be used to help you. Is there's a relational piece and based on the horse's uh, neurology and the way it's wired for fight or flight, it's a perfect uh, relationship for those of us who have trouble, trouble asking for what we need or connecting or um, setting boundaries because the horse is going to make you do that. So it's a prey animal. It, um, it is in fight or flight all the time. It's lived thousands of years for being out from doing that. So, so when you're, you're doing equine therapy, you're outside mm -hmm. with a horse. And another therapist. It's, okay. There's two of us or one of us and the horse and you. And that we're all part of the team. Okay. And so I'll give my story a little bit. So the first time I went, I was looking for somebody to do EMDR uh, for some trauma that I had. Um, and I'd gotten triggered in a session with somebody and it kind of brought some stuff up. And I was like, oh, I thought I dealt with this, but I probably need to go process it. Well, you know, I didn't want to go somewhere here with somebody I know. So I found somebody over in Hallsville in Texas and she did EMDR. And in the background, there were horses in the picture. And my wife was like, this will be great. And I, I was like, yeah, I need something outside the box because talk therapy is great, um, which is kind of this conversation we've been having. But there's so many other modalities that you can get in your body and get in your emotions that I just get real logical because now I know why I do what I do. And I've been in therapy for 20 years but when I get in my body and I get into my inner child work and I start really feeling my feelings, that's when stuff starts coming out. But I can have a conversation all day and do, 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 and I'm fine. So we get in the arena and there's this, you know, 1,200, 1,500 pound animal in the arena. And the therapist is like, uh, okay, we're going to do some connection today. I know nothing about horses, you know, lots about therapy, nothing about horses. And she's like, so I want you to try it. Rohan was his name. And she was like, I want you to try to get Rohan to come over to you and just hang out. So she goes and sits on the fence. And I spent like 30 minutes. I'm like slapping my knees. I'm like yelling and whistling. He's just like chewing and just standing there. I can't do get him to do anything. And so 
I hear her, you know, she's like, you know, how's that feel? And I'm like, well, I feel like an idiot, you know, like this is ridiculous. And I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm looking at her and she kind of nods her head and I look up and the horse is like walked up to me. And she's like, see, that's what happens when you get authentic, when you get honest, when you open up. So when we do that, our nervous system changes, our heartbeat changes, our everything about us changes and the horse can sense it. We can sense it too as humans, but most of us are so dysregulated and turned off that we don't like do a very good job of picking that up, which is part of why you do it. What you learn in therapy is to pick up on people's cues and to feel what they're feeling. And to, so the horse, because most of us don't have horse trauma, we have people trauma is a safer segue to being vulnerable than maybe sitting even down with a person. If that makes sense. So it took me about, I don't know, eight, nine hours to, to be able to figure out how to get myself grounded. And some of the conversations were things like, I don't know how to ask for what I need. You know, this horse doesn't want to hang out with me. It's a horse. Like, who cares? Like, so I couldn't be sincere. So he didn't want to have anything to do with me. And so when I became safe within my own body and I could ask for what I needed and believe it, he would do whatever I wanted to. And at the end, I could run as fast as I could and have my arm on his neck and he would run right beside me and we'd go over things and go between things. And so after that, I was like, I got to get trained in this. And, uh, and Amanda called me. I'd been to this like four day retreat getting trained and Amanda called me on a, emailed me on a Sunday and said, Hey, you spoke to me at a hub event. I ended up becoming a counselor because of our, partly because of our conversation. And I just want to let you know, I got licensed. I also trained in equine therapy. I don't know if you know anything about it. And I, I literally emailed her back. I was like, I literally just got back last night. So she came on board and we're going to start that. And that's been uh, really awesome and fun uh, to get to do. And so, you know, that's just new and we're, figuring it out and tell people I've actually done a little bit of EMDR but tell people what that stands for and how it works yeah so equine's separate from this but you can do EMDR on a horse uh equine I mean EMDR stands stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing and there's some there's a bunch of different modalities even within that Um, is it connected to hypnosis at all or is it not really it's the the bilateral stimulation this is bilateral, right? Um, is is the way that it works. It, you use your eyes and tapping or auditory or even panels that vibrate. Um, and the nerdiest, simplest way to explain it is our brains think on a loop and our brains need to process things. So when you sleep, we have what's called REM sleep, right? And your eyes go back and forth and your brain kind of unprocesses everything from the day. Our nervous system and our our beliefs and our negative lies and all these things are all bubbling underneath there and telling our nervous system what's dangerous and what's not. And we can build up so many protective mechanisms that before we even can process anything, the walls go up and EMDR allows you to, in a safe way, kind of let those walls down and you to kind of swim back into some memories and re-experience the grief or the heartache or the trauma that your body stored that when you were going through it, you didn't ever really experience. You survived it but you didn't um, experience it when you were in the moment. You know, it's called post-traumatic stress disorder, not during traumatic stress disorder. So a lot of times, you know, I was an army veteran and, you know, you get back and it's six months later that the panic sticks in or the, there's a smell or a sound or a thing that happened. I mean, even just this weekend, we had all this damage and um, I was pretty overstimulated just from driving around and, the smell of the trees laying down, the sight of the trees laying down, the the cars everywhere, the rush for food, like that sends me into a panic because of my military experiences with Katrina and trauma in general and, and five or six deployments around chainsaws and trees. 
So EMDR has allowed me to re-experience those things and my body to go, oh, I'm not, I'm not doing this again. This is a new thing where so many of us, whether it's a, a male relationship or a sound or a sight or a smell or a particular situation, our bodies start going, oh, here's this thing again. Let me shut down or let me overcompensate. And then we start acting in a way that is a coping mechanism that helped us survive. But now we're in a situation where we don't need to be in survival mode. We need to be connecting and, and talking and figuring things out, but our bodies won't let us do that. So EMDR is a, a tool that allows the relationship and therapy to open that kind of door to letting the body process some things that are unprocessed so that people can drive again, they can walk again, they can have sex again, they can, whatever it is that they're super triggered and traumatized by, they can, you know, go through it without feeling like they're re-experiencing the trauma. Is there anything else from that list of all those services I mentioned that you just would like to quickly touch upon? Um, all of our services are kind of trauma-informed. So even the integrated wellness team, we, we'll talk about trauma. They come to the staff meetings and we, you know, help them see through that lens. So that would be the most important thing is just for people to know that whatever we try to see people holistically. So if you come in for therapy, we may say, Hey, yeah, you got in a car wreck and you're, here's a chiropractor. You might need to go work on this. This is connected to this. Or our chiropractor might see somebody and go, Hey, listen, you had a fender bender, but you know, you're on the table and you're kind of talking about your mom's stuff. Maybe you should go to therapy. And so that's what we're really trying to, excuse me, trying to do with the integrated wellness pieces, really tying it in as a community. How did, we had um, maybe three or four weeks ago, we had Carolyn Hammond in here who um, is a new CEO of VOA and um, she said something that stuck with me. She she said, you know, we're now trying in schools with ACES and um, to to teach teachers or to, to work with our people instead of asking a kid, you know, why are you doing this or why are you doing that to shift that question from that to what happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, how does, how does ACES kind of do you know, you know, how yeah. does ACEs factor into the work you do and um, everything? Okay. Yeah, adverse childhood experiences yeah. are the root cause to so many of the problems in, in us as adults. And I think we have the shift in culture. We love to swing the pendulum. You know, for years, kids were to be seen and not heard. You know, they just kind of survived. You had a bunch of them and then they moved in, you know, like if they lived, you know, great and they help you. And then we've swinged up, we've swung over until everything is therapeutic and gentle parenting. And we, you know, everybody has to have all the emotions and think whatever they want to. And, and there's some balance there that we're still trying to, to figure out. And I would say that ACEs give us a very good understanding of like, uh, I'll just talk from a Christian perspective. I think the, th- the two things that I would say no one should say ever again, if you are a follower of Christ is how could they do that? And I would never do that. Because if you've discipled people, which is really, in my opinion, what therapy is, it's just kind of discipleship with some safety barriers and, and you know ethics. But if you've discipled people, if you've sat with people and heard their stories and, and listened to their pain and listened to their childhood and got to know who they are, like who they are is so much more than their color of their skin, their gender, what they do. It's, it's their story that led up to these moments and these behaviors that are living and breathing now. If you've done that, then whatever their symptom is, their behavior, whether it's drugs or alcohol or betrayal or success, you're going to go, oh, that makes sense. Like, I know you now. I know your story. And these things add up to this thing. 
And so as Christians, like if we, if we have this kind of judgmental, how could they, how can anybody ever do that? It might be that we've never discipled hard people. Like we've never dealt with some difficult people in our lives and sat with them and heard their story. And then the other part is, you know, I would never do that is just a misunderstanding of like aces and trauma and history. It's like, well, no, if you had a dad who abused you for five years, if you were in poverty, if you struggled with these things, then you actually would have probably done the same thing. The idea that you're some kind of moral superior person or you had better ethics. No, you just missed some things that this person got and they would probably never do some things that you would do, you know, but those two mentalities, I think trauma informed care, trauma responsive care, ACEs, they all help to show people the, the whys. I, I spoke at, um, we did the Southwest trafficking conference this last week at LSU S and, uh, I spoke on what, how, like, how does a person become a pimp or a trafficker? So I used the ACEs study to show like, um, I showed this picture of these two really beautiful African-American kids and, and Caucasian kids um, as babies, as baby photography. And then I showed two mugshots of, of adult males. And I said, they, this is how they started out and this is who they are now. And we forget that these two babies didn't plan on being abused. They didn't plan on poverty. They didn't, plan, they didn't have a choice. That doesn't mean they're not responsible for their actions and those actions should have consequences. However, ACEs, get, understanding anybody's story and, and understanding the, the things that they went through as a child when they were supposed to feel loved and safe, it opens the door for grace and forgiveness and understanding. doesn't mean you have to take away consequences and boundaries, but I think that's the shift we need as a culture. Um, most of our systems, judiciary system, legal system, school system, and in some ways, lots of church systems are behavior modification. They don't look at why it happened and what happened. They, they look at it shouldn't be happening. So what do we need to do to get you to stop this? And unless you understand the person's plight, then they never feel heard. They never feel seen. They never feel like they're understood. And so they stay in the victim seat. And so one of my big favorite things to do with people is to recognize that at some point they were a victim. They're a victim of the world, not a, vi a, a walking, breathing victim. They need to live in victimhood, but they need to acknowledge like some things happened to me that really hurt. And I need to hear that, feel that, live that out, write a new narrative about it so I can move from victim into empowerment and help other people who are also vic victims. And so I think we have to I would love for us as a culture to shift our lens on that and be able to ask better questions, have more patience with one another, stop being so arrogant and on our high horses about everything and, and, and consider that maybe some things happened that caused these things. And it wasn't this person woke up at 32 and was like, you know what? I think I'm going to start watching pornography. I think I'm going to cheat on my spouse. I think I'm going to start doing drugs. Like that's not how it happens. It happens that they went through a lot of things for a lot of years that weren't their fault they're not responsible for, they should have been protected from, and they learn to cope and survive. And then in between childhood and adulthood, they had no community. They had no support. They had no mentorship. They had no accountability. And they were supposed to just stop doing all those coping mechanisms that they know. So that's where therapy comes in. And in my opinion, discipleship should come in is to help kind of stop and stop the bleeding and the leaking and, and uh, heal. Love it. Makes sense? Yeah, total sense. Sorry, it's off the top. So just... No, that was great. That was great. 
So we talked a little bit about this before you came on. Uh, I, I knew, Clint, you were involved in a number of different organizations in town that you regularly give talks and seminars, and of course that you provide counseling services. What I didn't know before I began my research to prepare for today is that you also oversee a podcast entitled Asking Why. Mm -hmm. You have done an impressive 90 plus episodes to date. Um, the description about you and the podcast says the following. It's fairly long, so hang in there with me. Asking Why is a podcast hosted by Clint Davis, an Army veteran, ordained minister, and licensed psychotherapist. Clint has a master's in marriage and family therapy and is trained in trauma and sex addiction. He is also the director of recovery for the Hub, for the Hub Urban Ministry, which helps rescue men, women, and children out of human trafficking and poverty. Clint owns his own counseling and integrative wellness center with three locations with over 25 professionals from a wide range of modalities. So if you could um, tell me a little bit about the podcast, how it got started, how often you record it, and anything else you'd like to mention about this important aspect. Yeah, one, work. I need to update that, so that's good. Uh, yeah, I, I stepped down from the hub last year in January, so now I'm just kind of a partnership instead of being on staff. Okay. Um, and then, you know, we have a few more locations. Um, so that's, it's funny. That's part of doing podcasting is like, we've only been doing it for a year and a half and it's like you, things happen progressively. You got to change, you got to stay on top of it. Um, so I started the podcast, we were talking about this before a yeah. little bit, but I started the podcast in the season of COVID when I just felt like it was a, lots of people need lots of resources. And I started the practice thinking it was just going to be me. Um, Brent Hammond, actually Cassie's husband and Cassie really were like, you need to name it Clinton Davis counseling. Like that needs to be what it is. And I was so averse to that because of my own family system trauma. And, and I was like, I can't put my name on something. People are going to think I'm arrogant. And then I, you know, like it's all about me and I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be about helping people. And, you know, so we started coming up with names, wellspring counseling, you know, all kinds of things. And, uh, and they were like, no, like, then they're just going to ask who is that, who owns that? And it's still going to be reputation. I was like, okay. So that then turned in and we've been open for six years and now there's, you know, all these things. And so during that time I had to build some confidence in like my voice matters, what I have to say matters. Um, and our followers or our, our network or sphere of influence, they care and they, they want to hear. And so we started the podcast, um, and it's gone really, really well. We, my goal is to have this kind of psychological integrative conversation to have people on to hear their story and then to weave in God's story, to weave in like how psychology and theology can go together and are together in all of these situations um, and make it very practical that anybody who listens, listens to it is going to hear real people. So if it's a doctor or a psychiatrist or a, a you know best-selling author or for king and country or whoever I have have who have come on, I'm going to make it to where they're real. You know, I'm going to have these kind of conversations and be me. And I don't care about how many followers you have. I don't care about any of those things. I, I care about you as an individual and how your story can relate to the the common person. And I think that's one of the the goals is just like what I've heard the feedback I've gotten from people is just like yeah, it's super practical. Even episodes that I like some of my like religious followers, you know, they'll on Friday, they say, well, I, I listen to it and then I go home, I get coffee and I listen to it again. I take notes and they'll say, well, I didn't listen to episode 21 because I didn't think it applied. I went back and listened to it and then I got 10 things out of it. So 
humanity is humanity, man. And that's the thing. It's like, we're, we're really way more common than we are different. And I think the podcast, the conversations that, that let, lets people in to, you know, an intimate kind of connection. I'd say it's weird though. And maybe you found this too, but as people listen to it and as we've kind of grown and people like know who we are or hear the name or whatever, um, it's funny because I listen to a bunch of podcasts and I feel like I know the people, you know what I mean? Like if I, if I saw them in the stream, I'm like, that's my boy, you know? Uh, cause I listen to them so much. And so people do that to me sometimes now. And it's really funny. Like they'll come up to me at a restaurant when, you know, my wife and I'll be somewhere and, or I'll be in Barnes and Noble. Like the other day I was looking through this, like red, the red tag section, the real cheap books. And this mom kept looking up and it was a daughter. And I was like, you know, I don't think about, being non, I don't ever even think about the podcast. Like I just, me, you know, walk around doing my thing. Like I always do. She was like, are you Clint Davis? And I was like, I am. And she was like, my daughter sees so-and-so I listen to your podcast. I love this episode. I'm like, awesome. That's great. You know, but it's, it's just really funny. You know, like the dynamic of that and you know, people feel real friendly. And, and I mean, I'm, I love it cause I'm super extroverted. So, but it's a, uh, it's a cool dynamic for sure. And mention a little bit, just because you mentioned off there about the studio you're building and that it may be available yeah. for other people that might be interested in entering this realm. Yeah. So I would, I would encourage anybody who thinks they have something to say to say it. The problem is, that, you know, to have good sound and to have cameras, it's $15,000 or so. And where are you going to do it? You got to lease a place out. You got to rent a place out. Or you got to have a place. Um, and so we are building a podcast studio over in our North Bossier office. We moved over. We're in this office. We moved over, added some space, reconstructed. And so that'll be available uh, at some point for the public to use if people want to do their own podcast. We'll have screens in the background where they can change it out, put their logo on it, um, and people can just lease out the space a few hours. Because I just want, I want to be, one, I want to be able to pay off the cameras and the mics. But the other is I want people for a low fee to be able to have a voice in Shreveport and Bossier and nationally on, you know, all the things that are going on. And I think there are so few people really putting out healthy information compared to all the people who need help. And so the more the merrier, you know, Love so that. I'm looking forward to that. And we're going to put out several different, we're going to launch several different programs through that to, to uh, that's kind of been my vision as I've moved more into how do we reach more people? You know, I love the clients I have and I've done trauma work for 15 years, but I'm not really taking new clients because I can't do what I need to do and reach more people and train more people to reach more people and see 30 people a week. And so I see about 15 now, uh, 15 to 20, depending on the week. And, you know, they're super loyal and they're like, hey, I got to go, but don't take me off your list. And every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will really put like somebody will call in or email in and it'll just be a timing thing. And I'll say yes, because it just feels like it. And then it's been kind of cool to see, oh, wow, that was, uh, you know, that was definitely God's timing for me and that person too. So just yeah. as you're talking one, this is another unplanned question, but how does someone know I've gotten enough therapy? Like, what, what, what is, what is my, what is my, what is my timeline of therapy? I've made the decision. I'm going to start counseling. Yeah. Is this a, a you know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to knock this problem out and I'm going to be solved in <laughs> whole in six months or this is a 10 year ride or this is, this is, I'm signing up for life. Like, how do you, how do you kind of, man, you know, it's so varied. I mean, the thing is, is it's going to be different for each person because depending on the therapist you see their skill level, um, your, your consistency in the process 
your support systems around that situation, um, that's all gonna affect how fast it goes. But even if you have all those things, it's the, in my opinion, it's the journey, not necessarily the end result. So let's say, um, let's say you had a problem with a family member and you're going to therapy because you have conflict with them. You, you feel hurt by them and you have no clue what to do. And so you go in, well, that might be a little easier resolution of how do you, how, what boundaries do I need to set? What do I need to figure out? But what most likely is going to happen with a therapist is that they're going to go, at least at our office, they're going to help you realize that you have more trauma and unresolved things than you think. And so this might be some other things we need to unpack. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that means it's going to be 10 years of your life. But what I find is that people get into the therapy, they buckle down, you know, one, one week or every other week or once a week for several months, they really get ahead and then they go to every two weeks and then maybe they check in once a month once they get healthy. But very few people who get into therapy, at least our, my experience in, in, in our practice, just stop going and are like, I'm done. You know, it'd be like if you play golf and you're like, well, I'm, I got really good and I shot a 72, so I'm not going to practice anymore. You know what I mean? Like Tiger Woods still practices all the time. And I'm not a golfer, but that's just the reference point. You know, he practices all the time. And so I, I would say that mental health is the same way now. My push would be that more of us are understand mental health, understand good theology, are healthier ourselves, so we could be as therapeutic, if not almost as therapeutic as a clinician. And so I think the more healthy people we are, there are in our environment, the less they need to go pay someone to do it, the more that we could go, okay, well, we got, we got some kind of laser focus and some surgery. Now let me use my supports who know my story, who are supporting me in the background who now can come and hold me accountable to these things. We can have open dialogue. We can have healthy conversations. And yeah, I go check in for that non-bias, you know, completely, you know, non-judgmental, um, non, uh, you know, I don't think about what I tell my therapist the rest of the week kind of situation. Like I was joking with the client yesterday. I was like, yeah, y'all don't leave and go, I wonder what Clint thinks about what we said. They're like, no. I'm like, right. But if you told your dad this or your best friend this, then you may think for the next couple of days, like, ah, I was really vulnerable. I wonder what they think. And that dynamic shifts everything. And just one other kind of random question. Um, I mean, in general, should a male seek a male counselor and a female seek a female counselor? Is there zero unwritten rule? It's just who's a good fit and who you connect with. Yeah, who's a good fit and who you connect with? I, I've had I've seen male clients for two years. I was out of town one weekend and he came in in a crisis. Went and saw Lenita, one of my favorite therapists. And the next week he was like, "Yeah, I think I need to go see her. I'm going to stop seeing you." Right? It was a better fit. He needed that like female connection. He didn't know he needed that. I didn't know he needed that, but he needed it. And so I, I've had female therapists and male therapists. And the female therapist helped me in certain areas and I really needed them around certain issues and male therapists, I really needed in other areas. So, you know, I, I don't think it matters. I think, I think it matters to the point. Um, if it's a problem, you need to find what you need. But as far as like thinking, Ooh, she's a female, she's not going to get these issues. Well, that might not necessarily be true. It may be, you know, a lot of guys, like we do a, a sex addiction group and we have guys who have had affairs and porn addiction and uh, sexual trauma. And yeah, doing a group with a female, pe females do it all over the country and they do a great job, but there's some dynamics there that some guys feel really uncomfortable with sharing the details that they need to share in group with a female. 
That's not the female's fault. They probably would be perfectly fine. It's based on you as the consumer, what you feel comfortable with. So it's not necessarily that they would be, you know, better or worse, but same thing with, you know, parenting or dad issues or mom issues. It's like, well, I have a problem with authority in men, so I don't need to see a male. Well, maybe not, but it might be the best thing for you. You know, maybe the thing that you see a healthy male and you get loved on by a healthy male. And that's the thing that repairs your relationship. But it could be the thing that goes, it's, I can't tolerate it yet. So for a few years, I need to see a female. And then after I feel like that's resolved, whether it's a therapist or a pastor or a mentor, I need to start working on my male relationships. I can now tolerate that because I've gotten healthy here. So does that make sense? Yeah, perfect. All right, I'm going to zoom out. I may come back, but I'm going to zoom great, out. Man. Thank you. Yeah, no, I think I think it's good because, uh, I mean, I know I didn't know the questions beforehand, which was great, but I think it's good for people because um, these are stuff that we know as clinicians, and I don't think the general public really ever gets a kind of a, to ask these questions unless they're asking somebody who's been to therapy. Well, so and I think really helpful. I, you'll know better than I do. I mean, I'll say two things, which I wasn't planning on saying either. I mean, one is personally, I think, Personally, if I could afford it or had the time or whatever, I would do therapy every day <laughs> and, and I would do it for the rest of my life. And yeah. I think every, and, and, and second of all, I think everyone in the world would benefit from therapy. And third, I, I kind of look at therapy as kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're peeling layers of an onion. So you may get at one thing and you may find some resolution, but it just uncovers something else. Oh, it's buried yeah. And you just, I mean, it's, it's never ending. So it's just liberating. It's empowering. And I think it's, it, it, it's a, it's a great thing, but I also think, you know, there's still, I don't know, cause I'm not that dialed in here, but I think there's still a stigma for certain people around counseling and around therapy and, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I, there's a machismo associated with, you know, I don't need therapy. I'm that, that's a sign of vulnerability or that's a sign of weakness or that's a sign of deficiency. And, um, and, and so, you know, I think it's important for people to hear therapies, positive therapies, important. And for what it's worth, I support it. Yeah, <laughs> so that's good, man. I, I endorse it. I think there, I think there's a lot of reasons why people don't seek therapy. Yeah. That, that kind of prideful, I don't need it kind of thing, but that, that's really just insecurity. You know, the person who's listening to this and like, they don't know what they're talking about. Well, one, they're probably turned it off. Right. I mean, to get through this podcast takes a person who's wanting to engage and wanting to do the work and, and needing help enough to listen and lean in the people who don't want it are going to walk away the first second you even get there. Right. So that's the thing about therapy is like, I don't want to work with somebody who doesn't want to work. You know, when you're coming in, like when I go to therapy, I don't want to waste my therapist's time. You know, but they're there to to help you and guide you and, and listen and and not judge you and not criticize you. And that's difficult. So I empathize with it. But there are lots of reasons why people don't go to therapy. And, and uh, some of it's they've had bad experiences with therapists. Some of it's arrogance. Some of it's insecurity. Some of it's money. Um, but the reality is, like you said, I mean, we we all need the help. We all need that support. And at the end of the day just like working out, you're going to be sore afterwards. It's going to hurt a little bit. It's going to sting. You know, you're going to cry maybe. Um, but it's good for you. But it's great for you. Yeah. It, you release endorphins. You, it's cathartic. It's, uh, like I said, I just went this morning and just talking to my therapist. I'm like, man, it's so it's good. I didn't want to do it. It's difficult, you know, but you know, I cried a little bit, but, um, it can be surprising too. I mean, I was sitting there literally this morning, I'm sitting there 
and we're doing EMDR. And so I have these two like panels and I haven't done it. I haven't done any EMDR in a while, uh, several years. And, uh, in my head, because I'm a therapist, like I know what we're doing. Right. And so I know I was like talking to my inner child and picturing myself as a 12 year old and kind of having this conversation. And she was like, what do you, what do you see? How did you see him? Do you, what would you say to him? What does he need to hear? And I, I like just was just, you know, tears pouring down my face. I'm like, how am I not able to like, you know, I want to shut that off. Like even in the session, I'm like, I don't want to feel, I don't want to cry because what was happening is what's supposed to happen in therapy. I'm supposed to talk to my inner child and feel my feelings and cry. You know, that's we, so we have that kind of insecure cliche thing too, but I couldn't stop it. It was, it was the natural progression of a trusted person talking about their feelings. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's not easy. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable, but I mean, I think it's super healthy and if people would do it, I think, uh, it could change their life and, I think people I've had clients say, uh, you know, you're just, uh, you're just my surrogate friend. Or I've told them like, you know, I'm, I am a surrogate for the, for the meantime. Like I can't be your best friend. I can't go to coffee with you. Can't come to your house and spend the night and hang out and support you and stay there and keep you sober. Um, but in the meantime, until you have other community supports, I will. And people, you know, I had one client got super offended about that. Another client, you know, literally gave me, you know, a hundred dollars at the end. He's like, well, you earned your money today or somebody's like paid me and said, you need to earn your money. I got, pro you know, it's like there's all these dynamics that go into the room, you know, and that's what you deal with. You, you go, OK, well, tell you know, like I noticed that you kind of threw some money at me. What are you feeling about this relationship? What are you feeling about the situation? Let's deal with that. We can talk about your dad all day long, but you're doing to me what you hate that your dad did to you. Let's talk about that dynamic. And then, you know, that's where you got the good stuff. So it's fun. Yeah, it's fascinating work. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm going to zoom out for a sec. Sure. Um, I just want you to kind of talk about Shreveport Bozier for a second, just from your from what you see, because you see so much. I mean, you talk for a living. Not not many of us get to talk and listen for a living. Um, so my first question is just, as you look around, talk about some of the things you see that concern you the most about the state of our community. Well, I like to start. Let's sandwich it with a positive. Uh, I'm gonna come back to the positive side yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. All right. Um, my brain doesn't work like that, though. Okay. Then go positive, and we'll go. Well, do let, whatever, let me explain. Let me explain why. So, when we're thinking about talking with people about hard things, I think we can talk about facts and truth. But if we don't build a bridge between us and the listener or the person that we're talking to, um, they shut down. Right. Because all the people listen to this, if it's actually something they care about, um, a lot of times when you go with the well, look at our poverty rate, look at our crime rate, look, like the things that are difficult. The person who doesn't want to hear that, who needs to hear it, are the people who shut down. And so what I'd like what I like to say up front to to connect with the person listening is Shreveport has a ton of amazing people. There are people like you doing this podcast. There are tons of amazing therapists, pastors, churches. Uh, there are lots of giving people. There are businesses that are trying to, to thrive and stay thriving. There are officials who are really trying to change Shreveport. There are lawyers. Excuse me. There are a lot of amazing people in Shreveport. I think just like every city, we're in a state that is in, I mean, severe poverty. I mean, that's the one of the main things that nobody can fix, you know, like individually is we need money. 
Like we need equity. We need economics. We need those things to come back um, because we need businesses. We need income. We need um, those things to be in the city so that that can funnel out to the, the rest, right? If we have this successful kind of hierarchy of structure and business and jobs and income and employment, then that should should lead to the rest. I would say as a, as a systemic thing that makes me sad is just the, the overall, um, you know, the violence obviously is a big scary thing for people, uh, the shootings. And ultimately, I think we have to all take honest of that as best we can. You know, is that we we're in a system, we're in a city, and so we have to serve everybody. And I think a lot of times we can isolate ourselves and go, "Well, that's not me. That's not us. Like that's their problem. Whatever it is, drugs, poverty, you know, white collar corporation fraud. You know, it's like, oh, I would never. Again, it goes back to I would never do that. Instead of finding opportunities to serve, go to the hub, go to the shelter, go to the mission. You know, go do something. I mean, even this weekend, and I might step on some toes, but even this weekend, like, you know, our entire city is devastated and lots of people had church services on Sunday. Part of me is like, could we not have just gone out as a church and like cut some trees up and pick some trash up and like helped, you know, like, did we need to go inside and do the church service on this one day? Or could we, could we have remet again? There's a lot of good reasons why you should do that and worship in those times and give people a place to come. And and I think that's the difficulty of talking about all this is there's always two sides. And we have to be able to hold two truths at one time. We have to be able to say Shreveport is rough. We need some economy. We need to get rid of the violence. But at the same time, there are a bunch of really good people who want to change that. And even these people are good people. They're just stuck in a system with low resources and, and low income and, and low ways out. So what are we doing, the resourced, to help off-ramp off the not-resourced? Because we have privilege and we have you know, experiences and we have hard work that came from good families or family systems that were helpful or whatever. And so I think we have to, we have to see it as like we're all in this together. And we've kind of lost that as a just culture. And that's not just Shreveport. That's America in general, you know. And those are my main questions. Is there anything else I'm, we can talk as long as you'd like? Is yeah. there anything we didn't address or anything that you're passionate about or anything that um, you want to talk about today or share? Uh, I will say, which I didn't mention, you did do a series at the Y a couple of years ago. I think it was in at the end of 2020 or 2021 about, uh, it was called Critical Conversations with Clint Davis. It was fascinating. It was um to teach parents how to how to parent better. Yeah. Um, but is there any? Are there any speaking series you're doing right now? Actually, you mentioned you have a book coming out. So yeah. why don't you talk a little bit about that and sure. anything else that you'd like to mention? Yeah. So um, I've been doing uh, going around to schools and churches and businesses and and talking about how do we help our kids. One, I think, one of the big pieces that's missing in our culture is sexual trauma. And then what I call childhood sexual neglect. So you mentioned the ACE score. So on the ACE study, there's sec physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, and there's physical and sexual neglect, or physical and emotional neglect, but there's not sexual neglect. And so when people hear sexual neglect, they think of adults like, oh, someone's not getting enough sex. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying uh, that conversations about consent, body safety, proper terms for private parts, and then just general discussion about sexual development at all with children age appropriately is really important. And so I've been able to do those talks for the last four years. 
going to, you know, really just saying like, this is something that everybody knows is happening. Most of us as adults have suffered that neglect because our parents didn't know to talk about it. Their parents didn't know to talk about it. Trauma happens. And then we find ourselves as adults going, what do I do with this? And so uh, recently in January, I, I got asked to uh, do a TED talk, which was a big deal. It has about almost 40,000 views as of right now. It's been out for a couple months um, about this idea. And, and you so, can just find it through. Yep. If you go to YouTube and type in Clint Davis, TED uh, talk. it's the, the sex talks we didn't have that can save our kids. And so it's kind of a counter. You know, we have this, this again, the pendulum. We have one side of the culture who's over-sexualizing our children with everything. And then we have another side who's not talking about it at all. And I'm trying to help us from a clinical perspective, right? It's not the Bible says to do this, although I do think there's some healthy things in there about it. It's more of a, let's look at the research. Let's look at the statistics. Let's look at what's happening to our culture. And what I see as a clinician and what we see as clinicians all over the world. And how do we get, treat this root problem? And so much of the porn addiction and the sexual trauma and the trafficking and you know, the perversity that's on television at seven o'clock at night is due to neglect of parents just not having the skills or knowledge to have conversations. So that TED talk did really well. And so it led into me, the TED people are like, well, you need a product, you know, like, have you written about this? And so over the last half of the year, I wrote a book called Building Better Bridges, a guidebook to healthy conversations that can save our kids. And so it's edited and right now I have uh, 10 people doing kind of a beta reading of it. Psychologists, doctors, liberals, Democrats, Republicans, like, let me see the pushback. Been tweaking it as we go. And uh, so hopefully, I, I don't know if I'm going to self-publish or if I'm, these days, you know, unless you're like a really famous person getting a publishing deal with Pelican or, you know, who or not Pelican, uh, Penguin or, you know, Random House or any of those people is like, you don't have to do that anymore. You can self-publish and put it out to your followers and the people that you know. And so that's, that's what I'm excited about now. I hope that that'll open the door for churches to have us come in. We're going to do a workbook along with it so that like people can sit down at the, at the end of each chapter in the book, there's discussion questions for discussion questions, but it'll take people through kind of this whole conversation we just had today. What is trauma? What is epigenetics? What is ACEs scores? How did we get here? And then, what's changed in the last 10 or 15 years with technology and the cell phone and social media and how has that kind of uh, been the, the gasoline on the already fire that was, that was there that was never being addressed that continued to get, you know, passed down. And then what do we do about it? And then it takes, you know, we talk about menstruation, masturbation, you know, puberty, the sex talk, you know, how do, when do you have it? How do you have it? What's appropriate? What's not? Um, and so, you know, and why is it important? And what are the consequences if you don't? And yeah, I think it's going to be good. People are, I'm getting really good feedback from it. Um, I mean, as a parent myself, if I didn't spend the last 10 years of my life reading and listening and kind of consolidating, I wouldn't know. And most people don't, you know, they don't know what's good information, what's bad information. You can Google it. I mean, I've been doing it for a year writing this book and I'm like, oh, some horrible blogs and information about when to do this. There's some really good ones, but there's not really any kind of consolidation of the, the whole picture. And so I'm, the book is trying to summarize. There's books on consent, right? There's books on sexual abuse. There's books on these kind of parts of it. And what I'm trying to write is kind of a, a big picture of how, how did we get here? Why are we here? And then where are we going and what to do? 
um, and then give resources within the books to all these people who've written awesome books that are on, you know, one part of it. And then at the end, you know, here's all the recommendations and references and, uh, and all that. So I'm excited about that. I think it'll be good. I hope we do. I hope to do a Patreon page out of that where people can, uh, you know, go and pay five bucks a month and be a part of our community, have discussion, have, I can make some more video content. We'll use the podcast room for that and just really reach more people with, with good content, more content, um, practical things that they can apply right after listening to it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's what well, I got. Well, you're doing extraordinary work. I know the book's going to be great. I sat through the or I won't sat through sounds like demeaning. <laughs> I, 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 I was fortunate enough to participate in the sessions that you held at the Y and they were valuable and thanks. such a, such a resource, uh, a great resource for the community. So thanks for making the time. Uh, as is evident from everything we discussed, you don't have much of it. So no. appreciate all you're doing and yeah. um, look forward to continuing to follow all your great work. Well, thanks man. I appreciate you having me on and you know, I'll just say, you know, all of us, like we said earlier, all of us are struggling with things. We all have issues. We all have uh, family systems problems and struggles and difficulties. And, you know, I'm, I'm nobody special. You know, I think um, everybody that's out there listening to this has a voice and has an opportunity to, to make a change in their life and in their sphere of influence. And um, I'm just grateful to God that I have people like you and, and people like Misty and, and other people that we're connected to in community. And I think rising tides, you know, raise all ships. So if we just all keep working together and, and learning from each other and having an open mind and, and being willing to have some humility and, and, uh, and just sit down and have some coffee or do a podcast, I think the world could be a much better place. So if there's anybody listening to this that, you know, needs any help, I mean, YMCA has some great resources. We have great resources here in Shreveport and Bossier. Um, and if you're listening to this nationally and you need some help, man, email me, email our staff. We'll help you find a therapist in your area. Yeah, we can look on psychology today and give them one email address, maybe. Yeah, uh, you can do Clint Davis counseling at gmail.com. So, Sunny, my assistant, will answer that. She'll be happy that I gave that one out. Uh, shout out to Sunny. Uh, so, yeah, you can and you go to our website, clintdaviscounseling.com. You can follow us on Instagram or Facebook um, at Clint Davis Counseling and then Asking Why with Clint Davis is our podcast. So, fantastic. Yep. Thanks, Clint. Thanks, man. Appreciate you.